All right. Hello, and welcome to Millie's Forum Speaker Webinar Series. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Dr. Meir Litvak, Associate Professor of the Department of Middle Eastern and African History at Tel Aviv University, join us to discuss Iran's wars, high ambitions with low intensity conflict. Dr. Litvak will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. Now, with no further ado, I will turn the discussion over to Dr. Meir Litvak. Hi, uh, good afternoon, and I'm very glad to be here. Uh, what I will focus mainly is on how Iran has been using proxies uh, as a ma major strategy to advance its revolutionary regional interests and basically establish, you can say, either regional leadership or regional hegemony. Now, Iran has been taking advantage of uh, local, communal, and social conflicts in various Arab countries to reach out to the local Shia communities. And these communities usually suffer from discrimination. And then Iran organizes these communities into uh, armed militias uh, from their neck to basically, to, in order to advance Iranian strategic interests. Now, to be fair, Iran did not create these conflicts, but Iranian intervention certainly plays a key role in deepening these conflicts and making them much more difficult to resolve. Now, there are several reasons why Iran uses proxies as, as its favorite uh, strategy. First, first of all, is that in order to save Iranian lives. Now, contrary to the popular Iranian image, Iran is, Iran is not a fanatic country bent on martyrdom for the sake of God. But Iran is a rational state that conducts its policies based on a cost-benefit analysis. And the Iranian leaders know that should they sacrifice the lives of Iranian soldiers, Iran public opinion will not stand for it. And in order to spare the lives of Iranian soldiers, they prefer to use, you can say, expendable others who would fight for them. Or as one uh, uh, Saudi journalist described it, Iran is willing to fight until the last drop of blood of the last Arab. Now, the second reason is that the Iranians are aware of the fact that direct involvement in various countries will arouse great opposition in the target countries as a foreign national or ethnic intrusion. Whereas if you use proxies, it provides the image of a local movement, which is motivated by legitimate uh, social, religious, and political interests, which simply enjoys Iran support. Now, a third reason that it enables Iran to wage war or conduct a conflict with rival countries much more effectively than their indirect clash. And this is in two ways. One is that it enables Iran to overcome territorial distance. That is, Iran can threaten uh, countries like Israel, or, uh, or, and occasionally even hit Israel through Hezbollah in Lebanon, and thus overcome the distance of 1,600 kilometers separating Iran from Israel. And if Israel retaliates against Hezbollah, Iranian territory remains safe. And you can see a similar situation in the Iranian use of the Houthis in Yemen uh, to attack the Saudi to attack Saudi Arabia. And the second point is that the proxies provide an effective deterrence against rival from, Iranian, from attacking Iranian territory. And clearly, for instance, the 120,000 rockets which Iran provided Hezbollah have served, among other reasons, to deter Israel from attacking Iranian nuclear facilities. Now, the fourth reason is that using proxies enable, gives Iran deniability in the international arena in carrying out ter terrorist attacks against foreign countries or against uh, internal dissidents. 
For instance, Iran employed Hezbollah operatives to attack the Israeli, Israeli diplomats in Bangkok or to attack Israeli uh, facilities in New Delhi in retaliation for Israeli killing of Iranian nuclear scientists. Saudi Hezbollah served as a cover for the 1995 Khobar attack, which Iran uh, organized against American military facilities in Saudi Arabia. Now, the use of proxies goes back at least to the 1980s. And here I want to give three examples of uh, three major proxies which Iran have been using in recent years. The first one is Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon. And here we have to say that the foolish Israel invasion of Lebanon in June 1982, which turned the local Shi population of South Lebanon into an enemy of Israel, gave Iran the opportunity to intervene. Now, Iran was not, had not been, let's say, overly enthusiastic with the local mainstream Shi movement in Lebanon, the Amal movement, which was not sufficiently radical for Iranian taste. And it encouraged more radical elements in this movement, Amal, to split and establish an, a, a rival organization which later emerged as a Lebanese Hezbollah. And as part of this policy, and during the height of the Iran-Iraq war, the Iran Revolutionary Guards dispatched through Syria something like 1,500 fighters to the Lebanese Bekaa Valley, where they trained the local Shi fighters uh, to fight against Israel. Uh, the UN ambassador at the time, Chutat al-Islam Hotashemi, revealed later that Khomeini restricted uh, the use of these uh, advisors uh, and say, said that Iran, that Iran should not confront Israel directly and do the jobs that Arabs should do by should do, should do themselves do. Now, the current Supreme Leader of Iran, Khamenei, was even more explicit. In a, a book on the Palestine issue, he stated very clearly that Iran's role was to provide the Palestinians, the Arabs, and the Muslims the means to fight Israel until Israel accepts the political solution of dismantling itself and agree to the establishment of a Muslim state in the entire territory of Palestine. That is, we are not going to fight Israel. Our job is to help others to fight Israel. Now, Iran also uses, used Hezbollah as a leverage against, uh, against the US. Hezbollah abducted American diplomats in Lebanon, uh, and then Iran could use these diplomats as a trump card or as a, a bargaining chip to negotiate uh, what later became the Iran-Contra affair, that is transfer of weapons to Iran, and the money was given to, was sent to the uh, Contra organization that took fighting in Nicaragua. Now, in the course of years, Hezbollah became, you can say, the most effective long arm of Iran in the region. It played a key role in the civil war in Syria in protecting the Assad regime, and it sent advisors to Iraq and Yemen to train Shia militias there. And also, it, as I mentioned, it serves as a major means to deter Israel from attacking Iran. The other proxy has been the Badr Brigade, which was composed of uh, Shi POWs that were captured by Iran in the uh, Iran-Iraq war. And Iran wanted to organize them as a fighting force to fight uh, Iraq, uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq. They did fight in a some of the major battles in the war. There were about 10,000 such uh, POWs that uh, switched to the Iranian side, all of them Shi. And later, after the war, uh, after the capture, uh, fall of uh, Saddam Hussein regime in 2003, they came back to Iraq 
and became, you can say, a political force, the political arm of the Badr Brigade, what became known as the Supreme Council of the Islamic Revolution in Iraq, basically was the most loyal Iraqi, uh, pro-Iranian Iraqi party that operated in Iraq. But interestingly, it was not successful politically. Apparently, it was seen by most Iraqis as too much of an Iranian stooge to be popular in, uh, in Iraq. Now, the other, uh, another important movement are the uh, Houthi uh, militias in Yemen, which whose official name is Ansar, Ansar Allah, or the supporters of God. Now, they present a different case of inflexibility. The Houthis emerged uh, in the Saada region in northern Yemen in the early 1990s as part of the complicated political, sectarian, tribal, and social rifts that plagued uh, Yemen. Now, the Houthis are Zaydis. They are not Wolverchis like the Iranians. But this sectarian difference did not uh, bother, uh, never bothered the Iranians. And Iran began, began to provide the Houthis with weapons already in 2009. And this support, plus the, you can say, the incompetence of their rivals, enabled the Houthis to capture uh, the capital uh, city, uh, Sana'a, and most of Yemen, Yemen territory in, by 1940, uh, by 2014. And basically, the Houthis today control most of Yemen. Now, the UN strategic interest in supporting the Houthis is twofold. Most important is it is used to outflank and threaten the Saudis from the south. Uh, in addition, Ali Akbar Vilayati, the senior foreign policy advisor of Supreme Leader Khamenei, expressed his confidence that the Houthis would play in Yemen a similar, similar role to the one which Hezbollah played in Lebanon. That is an important strategic instrument of Yemen policy. Equally interesting. Vilayati highlighted even Houthi control of the Babel Mandeb Strait, which linked the Indian Ocean with the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. And he explained that controlling these straits would be an important step in, you can say, encircling Israel. But equally important, if Iran, if Houthis and Iran control the straits and they can shut the straits, it is a major threat to Saudi Arabia. The other very important Iranian instruments are what we call the Hashd al-Shaabi, or the Popular Mobilization Units in uh, Iraq, which became a very effective tool of Iranian policy in Iraq. Now, these militias were established following the collapse of the regular Iraqi army and the capture of the city of Mosul in June 2014 by ISIS fighters. There was panic in Iraq that the ISIS was going to take over Iraq. And the initiative to organize popular militias came, in fact, from the Shi'i leadership in Iraq itself, from Ayatollah Sistani, who called for popular mobilization uh, to the jihad against ISIS. But Iran seized the opportunity and, and uh, used it to set up uh, new uh, Iraqi proxies organizations. Now, altogether, there are six Shi'i militias uh, uh, under the umbrella of the Hashta Shabi. Three of them are fully subordinated to Iraq, to Iran, sorry. Three of them are subordinated to Iraqi forces. And true that these uh, militias played a key role in defeating ISIS uh, in Iraq. Now, like Hezbollah, the three militias that Iran controls became also the basis 
for political parties in Iraq, and they participated in the most recent Iraqi elections to the parliament, and they've been part of the ruling Iraqi uh, coalition, which means that Iran has proxies that are members of the Iraqi ruling coalition, basically serving Iranian interests inside the Iraqi, Iraqi cabinet. Even more so, Iran seeks to transform these militias into what we can say a state within states, exactly in the situation as in, in Lebanon, which vies with the government over effective control of the country. Now, there have been successive efforts by two Iraqi prime ministers, Mahdi Abdel Hadi and now Kazemi, to merge these militias into the Iraqi army, or at least subordinate them, subordinate them to the army's control, but all of these attempts failed. The militias get government salaries, but I practically are totally independent from the government and they are totally subordinate to Iraq, to Iran. In a way, they even threatened to take over the Iraqi army uh, from within. Now, these militias played a key role in uh, the effort to suppress the mass demonstrations that broke out in Iraq a year and a half ago in protest of the massive co uh, corruption and inefficiency of the Iraqi government. That is, they're acting, they've been shooting their own people, including Shi'is, in the service of Iran. Now, one final uh, word on this point is that Iran also mobilized Afghan fighters under the Fatemiyun Brigade and Pakistani fighters under the Zainabiyun Brigade. And both of these uh, brigades have been fighting in Syria since 2014 to protect the Assad regime. Now, while the use of proxies proved to be a very successful Iranian strategy, it also suffers from severe, several important weaknesses. First of all, these proxies are confined to Shi communities. Iran failed to reach out Sunni, Sunni majority in the Arab world, with one exception, which is the Islamic Jihad organization in Gaza, which is a Sunni organization, but operates under uh, Iraq, Iranian uh, auspices. But the rise of the Shi organizations also aroused, you can say, Sunni counterclash. Uh, and uh, uh, which is against, you can say, undermines Iranian hopes and uh, uh, efforts to become the hegemonic power in the Middle East. Another problem is that some of these organizations suffer, suffer from internal splits, especially in Iraq, that uh, they, they are not unified, not unified completely. Third problem is that especially the Iraqi militias today behave like I would say uh, local mafia organizations, their uh, thirst, greed, and uh, seizure of uh, large chunks of the Iraqi economy aroused tremendous opposition and resentment in Iraq. And what we have seen in recent months, and I think it is very significant, if you look at the last the, the most recent uh, demonstrations in Iraq and in Lebanon, which were aimed against, against the corruption and efficiency of their own government, they were also aimed against Iran. And for the first time in many years, we have seen Shi'is in Lebanon, in Iraq, demonstrating openly against Iran 
and against Iranian intervention in their own countries. In this regard, and this, with this I will complete, the Iraqi, the Iranian use of these uh, proxies may become now a liability and prove to be counterproductive. Now, I will stop here and I'll be happy to answer any questions if you, if you have. All right, thank you so much for that. Uh, the first question we have is, is there any organized opposition within Iran to the regime? Uh, within Iran, there is no, no organized opposition, no. Uh, Iran, the government has been able to crush all serious opposition. What we saw was some demonstrations, but they were totally, they were very disorganized. Understood. And has the weakening Iranian economy affected their ability to support their surrogates? They, it affected. The Iranians certainly reduced their financial support to Hezbollah. Uh, but still they provide Hezbollah with a lot of money. That is, they cut their uh, donations maybe by, maybe by half, but still they take food, money from their own people and give it to uh, others. To give an example, Iran general recently uh, considered that Iran spent more than $20 billion in Syria alone in recent years to support the Assad regime. And has COVID had any effect on this? Sorry? Has uh, the coronavirus had any effect on this? Of course, the coronavirus is a virus affected the UN economy. It uh, clearly made things much worse in, in, in Iran, but still the UN government does not give up its regional uh, efforts. And by the way, almost every month, month Iran publicizes the development of a new weapon system. As the Iran government does not um, exchange butter or uh, guns for butter on the contrary, it sacrifices butter for guns. Thank you. What should America do in Iraq to help prevent Iranian proxy takeover? Uh, let me just, there's, uh, sorry, there's this. The U.S. Uh, should try to help the, Iranian government, the Iraqi government to overcome uh, the Iraqi uh, pro the Iran proxies. Uh, Iraq will not be able to totally liberate from Iran influence, okay? but the uh, U.S. can certainly try to help those forces. And also, I should say, also help the Kurds in Iraq that have been uh, um, targeted by the Iranians. They have been, uh, I mean, the Iranians uh, use force against them. And I have to say, sadly, that the U.S. betrayed the Kurds in Iraq. The Kurds have been the most efficient American allies in the fight against ISIS, and they were abandoned by the Americans. This was not only a mistake, but it's also, I would say, a moral failure. Understood. And do you think that there would be any change in this if Joe Biden wins the White House in November? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 no, I, I, I have no uh, way of knowing the future. Okay. And do you feel that Iran is involved with the fighting between Azerbaijan and Armenia? Apparently not yet. I think the Iran's have a dilemma because historically they supported Armenia uh, and they have a problem with the Azeri government, but I don't think they can openly come out against the against Azerbaijan. 
because they have the Onazeri population. So I think they have to, what they would like is probably to reach a diplomatic solution as quickly as possible. I also believe that they are not very happy with Turkey playing a key role in Azerbaijan. Uh, but again, they uh, cannot, they don't want to confront Turkey. So my guess is that they will try to look for a diplomatic solution as quickly as possible. How far is Iran in the development of an operational medium-range missile? Oh, Iran has thousands of middle-range missiles. Uh, they've been very effective and they've developed missiles that can reach 1,500 kilometers, 2,000 kilometers for years now. They've been very, I mean, they've probably hundreds of them, if not many, many hundreds of them. They've been they began working on long-range missiles, and then they promised to stop this development, which means that they don't claim to threaten Europe or the US, and they uh, are sufficiently satisfied to threaten, you can say, Israel and Saudi Arabia. By the way, you can see that they, they've been supplying the Houthis in Yemen with um, rockets, uh, uh, mid-range mid rockets to attack uh, Saudi Arabia, and they've been doing it for the past uh, two years, fairly effectively. Will attacking Iran as retaliation for the attacks of its proxies help deter them? Uh, no country wants to start a, a major war against Iran because you don't know how it will finish. Israel is afraid of doing so. And I, I, I don't believe that any American president will go to another major war in the Middle East in the near future. So what can we do to stop Iran using these proxies to attack other countries? There will have to be a major change in Iranian policy. And uh, the problem is that the change will have to come from within. Uh, the maximum pressure policy has not proven to be very effective. I mean, it has inflicted a very heavy punishment on the UN economy, true, but it has not changed the UN policy. In fact, it may have actually pushed Supreme Khamenei to be much more determined to pursue his current policy in the belief that only if you play tough, you can stand up, stand up to the Americans. Uh, and unless there will be a collapse of the UN economy uh, anytime soon, I mean, by surprise, uh, pressure from the outside is very difficult. It will have to come from the inside when the UN people will say, and you know, there were, in, there were demonstrations in Iran, by the way, when people said, no to Gaza, no to Lebanon, we only want to die for Iran. Uh, this can become a major threat to the UN government, but it has to, I think, from uh, only internal pressure may force the Iran government to really change its policy. And do you foresee any chance of a regime change being possible? Unfortunately, not anytime soon. I think I'm afraid that the UN regime is fairly stable. Let, but let me say one thing. So in one caveat, there's a nice statement you always will quote and I always tell my students. I did not invent it so I can use it. Uh, every revolution came as a complete surprise, but in retrospect, seemed inevitable. Why? Because you can, in, in retrospect, you can see the long-term socioeconomic processes leading to a revolution. Why the surprise? Because in every revolution, there's a certain psychological aspect which no person can predict. Not even the participants in the revolution themselves can predict it. 
So right now, the UN government seems to be fairly strong and stable. But if by any chance something happens tomorrow and millions of UNs will go to the streets, things may change. Okay? Right now, it doesn't seem like, seems like that, but who knows? Hopefully I'm wrong and uh, there will be a regime change given soon. Let's hope. And do you think that Iran can have atomic? Uh, Iran, unfortunately, has come closer to developing nuclear capabilities after the U.S. withdrew from the JCPOA. The JCPOA was not a good agreement. Okay, it had too many loopholes, but neither was it a disaster. Once the U.S. withdrew from the agreement, unfortunately, the Iranians were able to rush quickly. And today, we're in a worse situation on the nuclear issue than we had been in 2015. The only thing that stops Iran now from reaching nuclear, full nuclear capability is the Iran decision itself not to do it. I think I've lost you. The problem is I cannot, uh, uh, maybe you can look at the chat if you have, I cannot, I'm, I'm not the host and I cannot reach uh, the participants and I lost uh, Stacy. Uh, I'm, uh, let me give, answer a question to Shmuel Yerushalmi, why do I blame Iran for everything? I did not blame Iran for all the problems of the Middle East. I was asked to speak about Iran, so I speak about Iran. Had I been asked to speak about the civil war in Syria, I would have mentioned the uh, Jabhat al-Nusra and ISIS. If I'm asked to speak about Iran, I will speak about Iran. Uh, I mentioned that Iran uses local conflicts to advance its interests. Uh, but to exempt Iran from the atrocities in Syria would be foolish and immoral, just as it would be immoral to, to ignore ISIS at atrocities. Uh, now there's a, uh, should I, uh, Question of uh, if I think Iran will reduce its use of proxies. 
Uh, I think right now Iran has been effectively using its proxies and uh, probably will continue to do so as long as it serves interests. And I don't see uh, why it does not serve its interests. Uh, Iraq is crucial for Iran. Uh, and Iran needs to, uh, would always want to uh, have influence in, in Iraq and the same in Lebanon. And uh, it doesn't have any other, any better alternative than uh, these proxies to exert its uh, uh, influence and to advance its regional aspirations. Iran sees itself as a regional power. Uh, there is a question of to what extent the Iran regime is revolutionary. Clearly, the uh, I would say Iran policy is a combination of several factors: the state interest, but also revolutionary aspects. The Iran government regime, especially Supreme Khamenei, Supreme Khamenei is still very committed to the what he calls revolutionary ideals of Iran. Iran behaves rationally. It is not a suicidal country. It is not. It is uh, would not sacrifice. A vital state interests for the sake of, of Islam and the revolution, but at the same time, it is still committed to certain revolutionary ideology and is still willing to uh, 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 invest resources and exert efforts to advance its revolutionary ideals. And it all, Iran always balances between, I would say, state interests, economic needs, but also revolutionary ideals in many ways, occasionally, it gives preference to revolutionary ideology, but again, up to a limit. Uh, again, not at the expense of the regime survival, for instance. Now, uh, Iran wants to wish to destroy Israel, it's still in a struggle with uh, Saudi Arabia. And now, Change of ideology can only come from within, from within Iran, when the Iranian either people will, will come out against this ideology or uh, a new generation of Iranian leaders will uh, moderate some of their revolutionary ideologies. Okay. By the way, many revolutions eventually moderate. The question is how long it takes and what price, at what price. Uh, you know, uh, the Soviet Union under Brezhnev was not the Soviet Union under Stalin, for instance, or China. Uh, the question is how long it will take and uh, again, uh, what will happen in, in the meanwhile. Uh, it is true that Iran wants to destroy Israel, but again, not to fight Israel directly. This is why it has proxies. Uh, it right now regards Saudi Arabia maybe as a more uh, urgent priority, but again, Iran is very cautious not to fight Saudi Arabia directly. This is why they have the Houthis. So Iran is playing a very delicate game here of working against its rivals, but being careful enough not to go to full war or to endanger its most basic state interests. Trump wants to reach a deal with Iran. Trump pledged to reach a deal with Iran. My fear is that uh, Trump would uh, try to reach a deal at any cost uh, with Iran, so he could, he, could be, he would be able to say that he got a better deal than Obama. And uh, my fear is that uh, he will not be very careful about the details. Uh, but I think that what Trump wants to do is reach a deal. Now, again, 
Biden promises to go back to the JCPOA. Which way will be more effective? I don't know. Uh, the surrogate, how, the, how, how can the world show that surrogates are used by Iran? The surrogates know that they are used by Iran. They place loyalty to Iran. Hezbollah boasts that they save Iran. They are a Lebanese organization. They, own, they have their own Lebanese agenda, but Hezbollah openly declared that they see themselves as soldiers of the of, uh, Supreme Khomeini. I mean, it's not that they don't know about it, but they believe that this is their interest to ally themselves with Iran in order to advance Shi goals, Shi interests in their own countries. So uh, the question is not lack of knowledge. The question is, uh, question, uh, is whether or not uh, what uh, would be more beneficial for them as organizations or as communities uh, in, in, in these in this political games. The sanctions have, have, have hurt the Iran economy very badly. The economic situation in Iran is very, very serious. Uh, 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 majority of Iranians are under, under the poverty line. Uh, unemployment has, has risen. The Iranian currency has lost something that's of more than 50% of its value in the last year alone. Uh, uh, inflation is now reaching almost triple digit inflation, annual inflation. The population pays a very heavy price for the, uh, by the American sanctions. But tragically, the regime has not been significantly weakened. And in fact, the regime has become more determined to stand up to the US because they believe that uh, now uh, any compromise will be uh, humiliating, humili uh, uh, humiliating uh, capitulation to, Iraq, to the U.S. Unless they, feel, they will feel that the only way to save the regime from total collapse is to reach another agreement with the U.S. and then they will do so. Now, when or whether they will reach this decision, I have no idea. Okay, so Stacy has come back at least for me. So uh, you want to you, you want to ask the questions because I've I've been talking to in the chat and I don't know if people heard uh, people heard me. Yes, uh, I'm very sorry. We had I had some technical issues and got kicked off. Uh, we have reached the time limit though. Okay. So <laughs> thank you so much for taking those questions. My pleasure. Uh, My pleasure. And thank you for speaking with us today. Uh, for our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for our weekly update with Ashley Perry. And thank you all for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.